0: Every
1: night or more, oh, little Pearl was his girl and she would always be found, oh, wherever Johnny used to go. Every he he night at all, call, at the dance of war, they were first out in the hall, dancing around, they'd be dancing around. An Ordinary War by Bart Meehan. Adapted from the war experiences of Agnes Baker, Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, George Weir, Royal Military Army Corps, Lance Leader, Australian Imperial Force, and Charles Gordon Cheed, Royal Engineers.
0: Daily Mirror, London, 4th of August, 1914. A state of war exists between Great Britain and Germany. The War Office has called for civilian medical practitioners willing to serve at home or abroad as surgeons. Motorcyclists for service with the army are also required. Men will enlist for one year, or as long as the war continues. The King has sent the following message to his colonies... I desire to express to my people of the overseas dominions with appreciation and pride that I have received messages from their respective governments during the last few days. These spontaneous assurances of their fullest support recall to me the generous self-sacrificing help given by them in the past to the mother country. I shall be strengthened in the discharge of the great responsibility which rests upon me by the confident belief that in this time of trial my empire will stand united, calm, and resolute, trusting in God.
2: Bent double, like old beggars under sacks, Knock-kneed, coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched to sleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, bloodshod. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of tired outstripped five nines that dropped behind. "'Gas! Gas! Quick, boys!' an ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams, before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If, in some smothering dreams, you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil's sick of sin, If you could hear, at every jolt, the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile, incurable sores on innocent tongues! My friend, you would not tell, with such high zest, to children ardent for some desperate glory, the old lie... Dulce et decorum est, pro patria mori.
3: It's a long way to Tipperary, it's a long way to
2: go, it's a long way to Tipperary.
1: My name is Agnes, and mine was an ordinary war. There were few thrills. Are you wondering why I went? There was no call for young girls from the country. But there was no one else to represent the family, no brothers. And my father was too old. Besides, he had the farm. There were others from the family in the trenches, of course. Uncles and cousins and cousin-sweethearts. But that was not the same. People said we were lucky. But we could see they pitied us. And I could see that pity hurt my father, hurt his pride, "'but it was more than that. "'He loved the land, "'and it meant more to him than all the flags waved "'and the glib, patriotic chatter. "'The fact that he had no one to defend it "'was a constant reminder "'there would be no sons to work it when he was gone. "'I loved him dearly, "'and to see him hunched in the fields was too much to bear. "'So I joined the wax. "'Mother was upset, of course,' Father said little, but I knew that he was glad. I was sent to France and billeted in a big hotel by the sea. There were bright lights and soft, thick carpets in my room. I lay on them and wondered if this is how our cat felt when it purred on the rug in front of the fire at home. We weren't near the front, though we could hear the rumbling of the guns. During the day, the click-clacking of my typewriter keys drowned them out. But at night, they were louder and seemed nearer. I would lie there, making impossible plans to get hold of a Tommy's uniform and make my way to the line. It was all very schoolgirlish and absurd. But then, I was absurd. And I had been a schoolgirl not so very long before.
0: I was 17 when I first landed in France. I was a boy straight from an English public school, looking for adventure, and I was the envy of all my friends. Before leaving, there had been a wonderful march through the streets of Southampton at midnight, amid crowds of cheering and delirious people. A woman threw her arms round my neck. What's your name? she asked. George, I told her. "'I will remember,' she said, and kissed me. "'I was posted to a first-line brigade, "'but when I arrived the division was resting, "'which meant that we spent our time exercising in muddy fields "'and playing bridge in the evening. "'We were there so long I wondered if I would ever see the war, "'but then the order came, "'and I had to hide my jubilation from others "'who had already had enough of the excitement at the front.' When the fighting began, the guns did not stop. They fired day and night. I felt them through the trench walls. As the bombardment grew, so did the retaliation. We had several casualties. Our senior lieutenant was blown to pieces by a shell on the battery position, bits of flesh smearing one of the gun pits and covering the gun in blood. The remains were collected in a sandbag and buried. Division after division went in and came out, but thousands of casualties could only buy us a few lines of trenches. It was obvious to all of us that the attack was a failure. Christmas arrived, my first away from home, and word came that in places along the front some men had called a truce. One captain told us that he had not liked the idea at first, and had ordered his men back, but then he was told that the Germans wanted a truce for the day so they could bury the dead. So he went out and met their officers in the middle of no man's land. They agreed on a schedule for burials, and then exchanged some cigarettes and stories about their families. He told us that they had agreed to play a game of football on New Year's Day, and that he had to put a team together. I nominated our sergeant, who had been a good goalkeeper before the war. The man nodded his agreement and said, At least with the bodies gone, there won't be any obstacles.
3: About twelve o'clock we got the order for action. It had been quiet all morning and the lads were delighted to have something to do. Snow slapped me on the back and said, Here we go, Lancy boy. Snow and I met on the ship over and have become firm friends. He's a baker from Melbourne says it's a pity I live in Sydney, otherwise I could sell his bread in my shop. He's made a few bob-in card games with the boys, but no one begrudges him the money. His wife just had their first boy a little while before he left, and it was not an easy birth. I expect he could have found a reason not to volunteer. No one would have blamed him, but after the stories of the lads on the beaches in the Dardanelles, he said he couldn't stay home and bake buns. When the shooting started, we were told to fire three rounds a minute. I had to wipe down every shell I loaded. They were covered in mud and several times the breach filled up with dirt. No sooner had we started firing than Fritz opened up. We were pegging away in good style when one of Fritz's lobbed against our position. Our sergeant just keeled over with a slight moan. I was going towards him to get a shell when it happened. I looked down and knew he was dead. There was only a little blood, but there was nothing in his eyes when the order came to cease fire snow and i were told to take him up to the station i took his legs and while we only had to go 50 yards it was exhausting he wasn't a big man but we had to go through mud and a couple of trenches and several times i stumbled and dropped him funny he was just alive snow said i'm glad it wasn't you you're a big bugger 10 more minutes
2: say your prayers read your bibles pass the rum Ten more minutes. Strike me dumb. How they creeps on unawares, those bloomin' minutes. Nine. It's queer. I'm sort of stunned. It ain't with fear. Eight. It's like as if a frog waddled round in your inside. Cold as ice blocks. Straddle wide. Tired of waiting. Where's the grog? Seven. I'll play your pitch and toss. Six. I wins and tails your loss. Another minute sprinted by for I knowed it. Only four. Break em into seconds more twixt us and eternity every word I've ever said seems a shouting in my head three last night a little star fairly shook up in the sky didn't like the lullaby rattled by the dogs o war funny thing that star all white saw old blighted it too last night two i ain't ashamed o prayers they're only wishes sent to God the bits of plants from bloody sod trailing up his golden stairs ninety seconds Well who cares One no fife, no blear, no drum Over the top to kingdom come There were a storm
1: on the front by his I had learned French at school, so I was put to work translating letters, many of which were from the parents of girls who were with child. At first this seemed terrible to me, and what shocked me most was that my superiors were shocked so little. They looked upon it as a necessary nuisance of war, and called it... A beastly bother. Sometimes one of these girls would come to the office, alone or with her parents. One was Helene. I was by myself when she came in. She was frantic, and she wanted me to help her find the man. He must marry me, she said, or I will kill him and then kill myself. (laughs) Then suddenly she became quiet and sobbed like a child. She refused to tell me anything more, just her name, Helene. For weeks, the sound of her sobbing haunted me. I never knew what became of her. In the beginning, I condemned these girls, but later I learned not to judge, especially after I'd met John. He'd been in France for over three years and had been wounded several times. He'd been working on the base while he recovered, but when the Germans advanced, he was ordered back to the trenches. We'd become friendly, exchanging a few words and morning pleasantries. So when word of his draft came, he asked me to go for a walk with him. John and I went to the woods and sat in a clearing. The guns were rumbling in the north, and the ground shook lightly under us. John said that he was afraid, more afraid than he had ever been in his life. He was sure that this time he was going to collect something worse than a bit of shrapnel. He wanted to know what I believed about death. I forget what I told him, but I'm sure it was something silly I'd learned in Sunday school. Then he asked me if he could kiss me. I said yes, and he kissed me many times and held me very tight. He held me so tight that he hurt me and frightened me. His whole body was shaking. I felt for him like I had never felt for any other man. But I knew it wasn't love. I just wanted to comfort him a little. Right then I might have forgotten all my mother's warnings to respect myself, but John was such a decent boy. He stopped and said, This won't do. You shouldn't feel so sorry for a chap. Then he walked me back to town. He was killed before the month was out.
3: Today was hot. Terribly hot. The sun was blazing down on our post. We tried to snatch some sleep but it was impossible in the heat. I dug out some shelter in the wall of the trench but could only manage a little shade for my face. I think we all wanted Fritz to start shooting just as a distraction. It was too hot for him as well. One of the lads was telling a story about a Tommy who had crawled out inside of the guns just to scoop up some water from a shell hole so he could make tea to have with his bully beef. I nodded and said, awful bloody stuff to eat without bread or drink. Snow couldn't believe it. That water would be pretty blasted dirty, he said. Didn't he know what some of them use the holes for at night? Wouldn't do you any more harm than a packet from Fritz, I said, to general agreement. Things are tough here, especially so for the enlisted men. There's great excitement when packages come from home, filled with clean socks and books and the like. But If there's anything decent to eat or drink, you can be sure it ends up in the officers' mess. The officers spend their time talking about seniority or ensuring they have the best accommodation. I sometimes watch their Batman washing the uniform and polishing their boots and wonder why we're here. Yesterday, Snow and I were in a village that had been abandoned during the shelling. Snow went into a house and found drawers full of ladies' unmentionables, all made of silk, so one can only imagine what went on in there. He managed to grab a couple before the officers got to them, and we both agree they make a comfortable change after months in the same stringy underpants.
0: We were at a quiet spot on the front and lived in a broken-down house a mile from the line. One evening, just after supper, a 4-2 shell came through the wall and exploded in our room. We were thrown on the ground. The candles extinguished and bits of plaster and falling brick showered on us. The door and windows, frames and all were blown out, but marvellously no one was hurt. I trembled for an hour after, and it was then I began to experience what fear was. This was my life now, because war and life were synonymous, and at any moment it could be over. After this I crouched at the sound of a shell, and found myself on dark, quiet nights in the trenches, shivering with terror at what might happen. A distant machine-gun rattle would make me jump, and I found it impossible to suppress such starts, even when I was not alone. I began to wonder if I was becoming a coward.
2: Jack fell as he'd have wished, the mother said, and folded up the letter that she'd read. The Colonel writes so nicely. Something broke in the tired voice that quavered to a choke. She half looked up. "'We mothers are so proud of our dead soldiers.' "'Then her face was bowed. "'Quietly the brother officer went out. "'He'd told the poor old dear some gallant lies, "'that she would nourish all her days, no doubt. "'For while he coughed and mumbled, "'her weak eyes had shone with gentle triumph, "'brimmed with joy, because he'd been so brave, "'her glorious boy.' He thought how Jack, cold-footed, useless swine, had panicked down the trench that night the mine went up at Wicked Corner, how he'd tried to get sent home, and how at last he'd died, blown to small bits, and no one seemed to care, except that lonely woman with white hair.
1: I came close to the war only once. At Etta. There was a bridge that meant something to our side, and so Germans launched attack after attack on it from the air. Near it, in the sunlight of a spring day, I saw half a company of men blown to pieces by bombs. Some of the pieces fell into the adjoining cemetery. Then bombs hit the graveyard, and the dead were blown from their graves. Fragments of shattered dead were scattered everywhere, mixing with the limbs of the newly killed. Our corporal shouted, Quick, girls, quick, the dugouts! In the shelter I found myself laughing hysterically and saying, The quick and the dead! The quick and the dead! A few days later I had a letter from the curate of our church. In it he talked about war as a noble discipline. He said it purged men of selfishness and by its pity and terror brought men nearer to God. I tore up his letter and lay down feeling angry. He'd been a hero of mine when I was a girl so long ago.
3: Guns fire all day and night. They sound like waves breaking on the rocks back home. We're used to it now. It's actually too quiet when Fritz goes for breakfast. Some of the shell holes are filled with water that has a rusty colour from the blood. You can see bodies scattered along the trenches, theirs and ours. No one could be spared to bury them. Sometimes you see faces in the mud, and you remember that's someone's son. I never thought this would happen, but we've all become hardened to the war. On Sunday, while we were having lunch, we watched a stoush going on overhead. There were six of theirs against six of ours. It was great entertainment. But then one of ours was hit and started to drop. Two men fell out. They looked like sparrows at that height. We wondered if there would be any parachutes, but there was nothing. Then the plane straightened a little and started falling towards us, and we went in all directions. The two men hit the ground first. Plonk! Plonk! against the battery. Then the plane crashed a few hundred yards away and started burning. When things settled down, we went back to our lunch and talked about air strategies. A few of us went over to look at the bodies after we'd finished eating. Snow told me that when they took them away, they found a leave pass in the pilot's pocket. Poor beggar could have been in gay paris now.
2: We sat together in the trench, he on a lump of frozen earth, blown in the night before, I on an unexploded shell, and smoked and talked like exiles of how pleasant London was, its women, restaurants, nightclubs, theatres, how at that very hour the taxicabs were taking folk to dine. Then we sat silent for a while as a machine gun swept the parapet HE SAID, I'VE BEEN HERE ON AND OFF TWO YEARS AND ONLY SEEN ONE MAN KILLED. THAT'S ODD. A BULLET hit HIM IN THE THROAT. HE FELL IN THE HEAP ON THE FIRE STEP AND CALLED OUT, MY GOD, DEAD. GOOD LORD, HOW TERRIBLE. "'Well, as to that, the nastiest job I've had was last year on this very front, "'taking the discs at night from men who'd hung for six months on the wire just over there. "'Worst of all was they fell to pieces at a touch. "'Thank God we couldn't see their faces. "'They had their gas helmets on.' "'I shivered. "'It's uh, rather cold here, sir. Uh, "'Suppose we move?'
0: I no longer had any illusions about glory. Like most of the others, I saw trips up the line as a horrible necessity. The odd periods of rest in uncomfortable cold tents surrounded by a sea of mud was a respite almost too good to be true. I doubt if anyone who has not experienced it can really have any idea of what those victories of 1917 and 1918 were really like. The country had disappeared. There were no trees, no houses, no countryside, no shelter, no sun. I remember watching a company of infantry marching up the greasy duckboard track one evening. A young officer with them recognised me. Our turn now, he said, without a smile. Bye-bye. I had all sorts of escapes in that year. In fact, they were so frequent, I came to think it was inevitable I would die, so I could not be bothered to avoid danger. The only matter of importance was whether the rations would come up promptly and the bottle of whisky I had ordered would be there. Then, early one morning, at the beginning of the last German attack south of Ypres, I was hit. Despite the pain of the wound and the terror that I would bleed to death before I was attended to, I was deliriously happy. I knew this was a blighty. I was going home. It was over for me, and I was going to live. When I came out of hospital many months later, the war was over. I stood on the street looking at the women wearing black ribbons pass by, and I wondered what I would do now was just 21 but I was an old man I've been trying to grow young ever since
1: in the last months of the war I got the telegram my mother was ill I went home but she was gone before I got there influenza had killed her in three days the sun shone when we buried her The cherry trees were white. It is God's will. His will be done for his good, the vicar said. The day of the Armistice, I remembered that I drank four glasses of champagne and afterwards had a very bad headache. Later I felt ashamed. I was demobbed and went home. There they wanted to treat me as a sort of heroine but they praised me for all the wrong things. I found myself visiting Mother's grave. I sat there beside her, and I thought of the men blown into pieces at Etap, and of the corpses blown from their graves. I thought of John, dead near Arras, and of Mother here in this quiet churchyard. I thought of Daddy, who had cried because Mother was dead, and of Elen, who had cried because her unborn child was alive.
3: It's eleven o'clock. Snow and I are anchored for a little snack in the old Somme no-man's land. As far as we can gather from the occupants of staff cars racing each way, the war's over. A while ago, every train whistle for miles around started blowing. There's not a soul around, and except for the whistles, it's deathly quiet. Snow just mentioned as he leaned against his Fritz souvenir bike. Fancy if I meet you again in civil life, we'll remember this moment. The weather's been perfect this week. We had a little snow last night.
0: The Last Man to Fall was an American called Gunther. No one had told him the war would end at 11am. He charged a machine gun, and the Germans, who had been told they were going home, shouted for him to stop. But he didn't, and finally someone fired. A minute later, the bells began ringing. The war had lasted four years, 14 weeks, and two days.
2: Pile the bodies high at Austerlitz and Waterloo. Shovel them under and let me work. I am the grass. I cover all. And pile them high at Gettysburg. And pile them high at Wipers and Verdun. Shovel them under and let me work. Two years, ten years, and passengers ask the conductor, What place is this? Where are we now? I am the grass. Let me work. Of the rainbow, there's happiness And to find it, how often I've cried But my life is a race Just a wild, loose chase And my dreams have all been denied
0: That was An Ordinary War by Bart Meehan With the voices of of Krista Diyaga, Tony Turner, Jeffrey Borney, and David Clapton. It was directed by Tony Turner. I